Welcome to Crossleg with Hira Mehta. Everyone has a story to tell. This is season 2 where I talk to people from all walks of life. I uh, I think we are going to have fun talking and uh, getting to know each another better because we've just met online and I'm just waiting for her to join me. Uh Ramisa Fariha. I don't know whether to call her Ramisa, call her Fari or what, but I guess I'll leave that to as it goes. So tell me what should I call you? Should I call you Fari uh, as everybody calls you? <laughs> or should I say Ramisa? Or should I say Fari? Uh, or should yeah. I say what the Fari? <laughs> okay, I'll give you a quick rundown of my name. So I actually don't have my family title. My parents okay. didn't give me my family title which is Choudhury because it was kind of like you don't need a male identity to establish yourself so i my wow. name is safari and i'm like the first of my kind i would say in my whole family and so ramisa is kind of my professional name that i go by everywhere but then fari is my pet name that my parents oh. and family they use for me and so when i was creating this handle i wanted something really catchy and also it's a thing because i do i'm such an impulsive person everyone in every time i'll do something crazy my friends would be like what the fuck you know so i was like oh that's going to be my instagram handle so that's how it came to be you are more than welcome to call me fari or ramita whatever you know you're comfortable with So now let me ask you something. You are as a kid, you never played with dolls. Yeah, you know, no. you were one of those tomboys like me. Even I never played with dolls. To be very honest, I was always flying kites on the terrace and so on. You know, but uh, so you played with action figures and guns, and you were wrestling with your brothers. You know, so what memories do you have of your childhood? I mean, what kind of a child were you? If I'm, I you know. so I'm the youngest in my family, and so okay. we were in one family. So there was. my grandma my uncle their boys okay. um me and my brother so i was the only girl in the house and oh. surrounded by all of my brothers being a girl never came naturally to me and my mom and my aunt they're not they're not the kind of people who would you know breathe down your neck and force you to be a girl mm-hmm. so i was allowed to be who i was and i know i went by a pseudonym i was convinced that i was a boy and so I was not your typical girl for the lack of a better term and also if there were you know if I'd visit someone and they bring they bring me girl like female toys I would mm-hmm. someone once gave me one of my brother's teachers actually he gave me a doll on my birthday and my mom you know still she'll still tell that tor- story I ended up apparently crying until midnight this man he was so so kind of him he ended up taking that toy back to the store and he brought me books and comic books and um coloring books and then I was really happy I was like okay yes this is good stuff I love books so I would either <laughs> my favorite gifts even now is like books or toys even my graduation okay. action figures oh wow 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 okay you you're probably the first girl who left bangladesh and moved to us you know and to pursue your dream so what yep. was that journey like you're saying you're a, i know you're a very tomboyish and so you 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 had the strength and all that but still it must have been a little bit tough now to uh, to suddenly tell your family that you want to study a uh, science that to uh, so why science is also my next question and then you wanted to move to uh, you know to some way out place to you know pursue your dream how so, difficult was that 
Yeah, um, that's an interesting story. So actually not from Bangladesh, I won't say, but from my hometown. So I'm from a very small town called Narangunj. It's straight okay. out a little bit away from Dhaka, which is the capital. And so right. okay. I kind of knew that I, I wanted to come abroad for my education. And that's mm -hmm. how my parents grew up because my father, he got accepted to go to Oxford. He actually just joined the live chat. So hi, Papa. Um, so hello. Thank you. He got accepted to go to Oxford and Cambridge, uh, Oxford and McGill University. And my grandpa wouldn't let him go. And then my mom, she got married really young. And so there were like all this explanation, but they never forced it upon me. I was kind of always like a nerdy, geeky kid. Mm. And, um, the reason why I ended up becoming a biomedical engineer was I was inspired by the work of Dr. Jeff Morgan here at Brown University. I was in seventh grade and I found out about Jeff's project. He was working on creating mouse ovary, artificial ovary. Yeah, I thought it was the coolest thing ever. And just one fine morning, I woke up and I told my parents, I was like, listen, I'm going to become a biomedical engineer. I will create the world's first implantable human artificial ovary. And I will go wow. work with this guy named Jeff Morgan. And my parents' response was literally, okay. You know, oh. and it was kind of like, listen, and they're, they've always been so chill. And they were like, listen, you will, you need, you need to figure your way out. We are here. If you need anything, ask us. Otherwise, you need to figure this out. Just let us know when everything is done and settled. And, you know, we have everything covered from there. So then it was more about me finding my way. How can I come here, applying to school? So um, I got the emotional and financial support 100% from my family. And everything else was kind of me navigating my ways around, making mistakes and learning from them. So that's kind of I ended up, how I ended up coming to science and biomedical Wow, that's amazing because uh, it must have been really an adventure, you uh -huh. know, for you. And I'm sure now you've settled in and all that. But tell me something, Pari, if you're okay talking about it. You're a survivor. You had multiple health problems. You've had, you, you know, you face assault, victimization. I mean, I know I read somewhere in one of your, uh, you, you've done a few interviews which I read on the Facebook just to find out a, a little more about you while I was talking to you that you actually had an IV injection in your, uh, uh, while giving an exam. I mean, like, I mean, that blew my mind. So, I mean, you're crazy. I mean, I mean, that's crazy stuff. So, I mean, tell so me, tell me. Um, so I was under the British board, um, you know, the EDECTA system. And so it was my final years of high school. So my A2 examination, the second level of A-level. And mm -hmm. I and I had jaundice and malaria and some, some other thing. It was just really insane. And then I had, yeah, and I was out of school like the last three months when you're supposed to do your crunch preparation and, you know, all your mom mm -hmm. I was out of school and I didn't okay. get medical clearance and I legitimate had the eye injection and uh, so kind of two of my teachers I owe a lot to my chemistry teacher Momin sir and my physics teacher Riyad sir they would come visit me every day after school and they'll tell me what you know they have been up to in school and I remember just laying in bed my teachers would tell me oh Ramisa did you know there's this thing called a de-accelerator it accelerates the particle and you know this is what it does and this is used to separate 
to um, particles of gold. And these are the masses of them. I was like, oh, okay, interesting. And this is how I basically prepared. And I went for the exam. I told my parents, you know, this is as good as going to get. And my papa has this very famous dialogue. You know, you know the dialogue, papa ke paas bahut paisa hai. My dad has this dialogue that he uses a lot because he never wants me to come under stress, right? So he would say, okay, we have registered for the exam. And he always uses the word we because um, we believe as a family, it's the four of us as a team. So now my baby, it's a five of us and it's a teamwork. So he'd say, listen, we have registered for it. We'll go take the exam. If we fail, we'll sit again next year. If not, we'll spend the next 10 years taking this A-level exam. So just <laughs> go take a shot. I was like, okay. And then I just, I walked in. And even now my uh, teachers would still say, you know, my physics and my chemistry teacher, they would say, I just don't understand how you didn't prepare and you went <laughs> the exam and you made it through. So if you ask me, I don't remember either. I think, you know, it was, you know, all praises to God. So I know, I know, I'm so. I'm sure, but it was a tough, it was pretty tough for you, right? You, you, I mean, you're a very strong girl. So if I were to again ask you, would you like to share what, what is it that, uh, you know, made you stand up for yourself? You went through a lot of struggles. It's just not, it was not an easy, you know, on the plate type of thing that you have gone through, you know, and also uh, tell me what kind of research do you do? I mean, like, what is, what exactly? Okay, so just to answer the struggle part, when I decided to come as the first single female out of my hometown, um, mm -hmm. it, was, it was strange because no one had done it before. And my family does have, uh, we, have we are well known for being a family of, you know, uh, good reputation and educational values and people respect us. You know, they look at our family first. You know, my hometown again is very small, so we are well known for it. And so once I decided on that, you know, imagine waking up with some stranger in your living room every morning with a marriage proposal for you. That was not oh. easy for a teenager to deal with. And, you know, God bless my parents. They ended up standing up for me. And it was kind of, you know, the whole deal with my parents being so chill was, listen, there is no backing out. We'll support you everything. Mm -hmm. Just go home you know, halfway done and say, I'm done with this, you know, just finish whatever you have to, you know, like, like my papa says, you know, if you want to be a thief, be the best darn thief out there. If you want to be a biomedical engineer, be the best one. And so it's kind of wow. that way. And uh, the struggle was uh, not only just the fact that the society was completely against, you know, there were mm -hmm. educated members in the society coming and telling my parents that I should be married off and, you know, it just made no sense to me. Um, and my parents, you know, again, they were like, she's going to explore her world. And that journey was more emotionally toiling than anything else. And mm. as a kid, not going to lie, I was heavily bullied. I'm, I'm really big. I have polycystic ovary syndrome. So I've always had weight and hormonal issues. Um, in the U.S., I fit in just fine. I'm an average size person. I can understand. In Asia, I am really big. I walk in a room, and you know that a person has entered the room. So you know, I'm 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 quite. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm exaggerating, but I'm, yeah. I'm tall for um, a Southeast Asian girl. Okay. And 
So then I would always get that attention. And growing up in school, I got heavily bullied because I was a tomboy. I never fit in with the girls. And mm. back then, schools were even more different than they are today. You know, even right. if we went to a co-ed school, we would still mm-hmm. separate. Girls and boys would still sit separate. And it was like programmed in us from a kid. And this is something that my family didn't teach me. So when I went to school, it was a struggle for me. Is that why is it that I can't play with the guys? And even when, by the time I was in eighth grade, the girls in my class ended up switching schools, dropping out and all kinds of things. And I ended up being the only girl. And one principal had my parents come to school and said, uh, we want you to change Ramisa's schools because she might be uncomfortable being in a class full of all boys. And at the time, we only had male teachers, no female teacher whatsoever. And so, yeah, and so the principal said that. And I was at the time outside playing with my friends in the field. And my parents took them out. (laughs) And my dad pointed out at me on the field and said, listen, I'm only seeing one boy playing with a group of girls. What's your point? And so, yeah, he actually said that. Um, Hats off to your dad, you know, he's, I mean, whatever I've heard till now, Fari, I can only say hats off to your dad, you know, how wonderfully he has been supporting you and and it's, and everything that you're telling me is just showing how much support you have from your family. And so today when you're, when whatever you're speaking to me is all thanks to, you know, your, I mean, your dad has said such wonderful things to you, you know, wow. both my parents, because my mom, she has been my rock too through everything. Even now, like just this, she calls and wakes me up. She's my alarm clock. In the COVID, you're actually uh, teaching them online too. Yes. So, I mean, how, how does it all work out for you, you know, in your daily routine is what I'm asking. Yeah. So I'll just walk you through like all the elements. So, um, again, credits to my mom. She always emphasized on two things. One, okay. good human being. Two, helping others. She's like, you can be an student. I don't care. So Papa is very academic. Papa's point is, you know, we have to be the best at everything. But mom is like, listen, hmm. be a student, but be a good human being. And always learn also. to help others. So... Right. That way we grew up. I think my first act of volunteering and being actively involved in something was when we had a flood in Bangladesh in 1998. And I was really, really young. I was a baby. And my mom took me on a boat to, you know, give the donations and the relief to those who needed it. And my grandma, my daddy, she lived out. She's like, why are you taking this little girl? Why are you taking my only granddaughter? And my mom's one of no, no, she needs to face reality. And so I think because of my mom, we ended if up. I just, uh, if I may just pause to just, you know, to, to, to say that one little thing which you just said, uh, that your grandmother said, why are you taking my only granddaughter? <laughs> wow. I mean, like, I mean, that in itself says so much, you know, about, about uh, you know, your grandmother's, thoughts and and your family you know the way they are uh, they ha- i mean i'm really stumped by the uh, i'm seeing you but in you i'm seeing i'm learning so much from your uh, the way the things that you're talking about your grandmother your father your mother there's so much of it is you know resonating with me also 
but it's it's beautiful what you're saying for you you are so lucky you've got such such a such inspirations around you you know it's it's amazing you know of my mom we ended up being so actively involved in volunteering and reaching out so actually everything started even when i was in bangladesh i ended up um i i was the only girl who go from narayanganj to dhaka to volunteer um and in like different organizations and i ended up branching out that part of that organization to my hometown and i was like the youngest only female president of that thing um of the organization it was it, now it's a big national chain but so things mm-hmm. have been in place for a long time so when i came here for my bachelor's to penn state it came as a second nature you know being involved i was writing for yeah i was like a writer and uh, and photographer for our newspaper i was the president for the muslim student association i was um you know working in multicultural council and i was part of like 10 to 12 different organizations and so it wow. just became it it came so naturally to me and that streak yeah. just stayed so whether it was all through penn state to now you know it transitioned with me to brown and i actually ended up being penn state's first international freshman of the year so you know with the movie student of the year You can't really have a student of the year in the university level but you can have you know the freshman of the year that was the first international freshman of the year wow. for so that stayed when it came to brown um the first place i got involved with was the global brown center for international student or as we like to call it gbc um it's okay. basically a center that provides support to all international students undergraduates and graduates and so um i started kind of you know going to their events and volunteering and soon enough i became a very active part of the core team and i was also a part of the international advisory board for students wow. and i was a graduate um community fellow for the graduate school i was um a graduate assistant for the international orientation a peer mentor tour guide you name it there's something going on and i'm there and it's been a thing it was a saying at penn state you know if there's some event ramisa is going to be there if there's some event at brown there's like a panel ramisa is there if there's any event she's either participating in it or she's a speaker right. in it she's just there yeah so so you feel that right and so that's how i feel it i feel it completely because that's exactly who i am you know i believe that the more you uh, interact with people the more you uh, you participate the more you network the more you meet people there's so much in life that you can do you know in your own little way you know and yeah. i love i'm just like you i any event that i hear of and there you know you. to volunteer that's botanic that's the fun that's the fun of life i mean yeah i mean that's great yaar so yes. that's how you uh, you know involved in all the activities and and what about your research tell me what is the yes. research if you can tell if you can't yes. it's okay no no it's definitely so um research kind of has been my thing since i got into the field because obviously i came across the work of particular scientists that inspired me so when i was an undergrad at penn state i joined penn state's first uh human stem cell lab and so i was one of the very first undergrad students there and after that so my first ever research focus was cell engineering then i graduated i ended up working in the industry for a year 
and my focus shifted from cells to decellularized tissue and device design. So then I became a tissue engineer. Then wow. I it's all from above my head, but it's a box. I can explain. So then I came to Brown, and then the idea, you know, Brown is pushing this new platform. It's called Scaffold Free Tissue Design. So okay. it's a three-dimensional area in which you can create artificial tissues, and you don't need any system to create them. So, wow. uh, yeah, so I got involved. And that's actually the platform that Dr. Jeff Morgan, who inspired me, he invented. So I got involved with the scaffold free tissue design. So I was still a tissue engineer, but I was also part of the biomedical optics lab. And I was working with the system called the optical coherence tomography. And so I ended up being um, the bridge in between the two labs, the Lee lab and the Morgan lab. And I actively pursued this collaboration. And the idea of my master's thesis was I was using this three-dimensional optical system to image a 3D tissue. It was a breast cancer tissue in a real time. Usually when you use anything to image an object, even if it's in 3D, you're only seeing two sides of it. You cannot really see the depth of it. Versus this optical system, it allows you to see it entirely in 3D. And so breast cancer and this whole platform, the idea was, Cancer is when your cells start growing uncontrollably. You know, you can, it doesn't need nutrients. You can deprive it of nutrients and, um, you know, food and everything else, you know, no gas supply, and it's still going to grow. It doesn't need vasculature. And so what we use the chemo reagents for is they end up killing this um, cancer cell. And in order to monitor it in real time, you could use this optical system that I was working with, and you could test. Uh, essentially, chemotherapeutic reagents in this uh, breast cancer wow. cells, and then image them in three dimension and see how these cells are dying and in one proportion. And so, essentially, you can decide which drugs would better for patient A versus patient B. So that was kind of the focus of my master's research. And then I was fortunate and lucky enough that I got called from Dr. Anubhati, who's a friend of Dr. Jeff Morgan, who's a very good friend. And so Anubhav, uh, again, is a very renowned name in the field of microfluidics. And he invited me to join. And he said, you know, Romy, I need a marketing person. Like that. Sure, I'll come join in. So then I went from being a tissue engineer to right now I'm more of a microfluidic device slash design engineer kind of person. So my research is kind of, it has gone, it has transformed a lot from when I started with selling tissues to right now in microfluidics. But microfluidics are supposed to be the next big thing where you're comprising okay. all these big um, machines and devices to something very small and chip size. So ideally, you know, when, say, for example, with COVID research, mm -hmm. um, need a giant QPCR system and it's slow and time consuming and it just takes forever. You know, when I was in the industry, I used to do QPCR a lot versus now mm -hmm. with doing um, microfluidics, you can actually get the whole thing done in a small chip. So, you know, wow. getting comprised as the years go by. I'm really excited and it's a it's a big learning curve for me because I've never worked with microfluidics before but mm -hmm. this is 
really cool. So balancing all the volunteer work plus research plus classes plus teaching. It's been quite the journey, but hey, you know, I'm, I'm in it to win it. Wow, I love that. I love your attitude. I can assure you that there's so much I've learned, you know, from just what you've said, you know, and, uh, and your parents, I am again saying that I'm really, really uh, touched the way your grandmother, your parents have, you know, brought you up and have instilled uh, so much of beautiful thoughts in you that today you're standing so tall, you know, and I think it's just beautiful, you know, and I'm so happy I spoke to you. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Hi, that was my friend and that I can say very happily, uh, Rami Safariha, all the way from Pennsylvania. And uh, I really had a great time uh, knowing things from her. She is indeed, indeed, indeed somebody, I mean, amazing, no doubt about it. And what a beautiful conversation because uh, she has really poured her heart out. But more than pouring her heart out, she's given us so many, uh, you know, uh, new thoughts to think about. And I think we should all, we should all stand tall. Thank you for being here and listening to us. Thank you and bye-bye.